0: Welcome to a bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. As I mentioned, Chris Messina and I have been doing post-podcast sort of wrap-up show experiments on Clubhouse these last couple weeks. The idea is that Clubhouse is supposedly going to let people save recordings of Clubhouse rooms soon, eventually so we've been throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall to see what sticks in the hopes that maybe eventually we'll do a regular bonus show when the time comes Chris and I did a relatively simple hack for this of merely talking into our own microphones and recording locally, each of us on our end, so we knew you wouldn't be able to hear people we brought on stage to talk, which is a shame, because we did get to talk to some great Ride Home listeners, including Jane Manchin Wong, who both Chris and I were thrilled to speak to for the very first time beyond the realm of DMs. What you're gonna hear is about an hour of just chris and i kicking around some of the stuff we discussed on the show this week then unfortunately my audio cuts off and chris was still jamming on an excellent point so i tried to edit together some of his soliloquies even if you won't hear some of the things that prompted what he's saying as i said this is an experiment very very raw stuff but i figured we do have this audio so why not share it please enjoy
1: I'm recording on my side. Brian, are you recording on yours?
0: I have GarageBand going. Okay.
1: Yes. Fabulous. I think this is going to work. Um, the hope or the thought today is that we may end up turning this into a weekend bonus episode for the Technium Riot Home podcast. And so, again, in the spirit of experimentation, that's kind of what we got going on today. Um, let me see. I got to find this. Is, this. is this the one? This might be the one. Let's see if this is the one or is that the one? Uh, I'll try this one and let's see what happens here. Let's see. This is this is a do it live. Here we go. Okay, so I want to ask you actually, like, where did that come from? Where, like, did you like find it on some like stock (laughs) slide? No. Or did you make it?
0: No, 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 no. Um, I have a very dear friend who I don't know if he, if he wants to be counted. his, his, yeah, but, um, he created about 30 different tracks for me when I started podcasting oh. and I've been using them for about five years because like, I was like, oh.
1: uh, you know, like the batch, the batch offer, the batch deal. That's what happened there.
0: Yeah, right, right, and uh, so um, all of the shows that we do on the network um, are all of that person's songs, and even like the the uh, in between, like you know the the stingers in between, moving from one segment to another, the background music, and the even the ads. It's all from that same person, wow. and uh, God bless. Wow.
1: Okay, that's that's I appreciate that. I actually, I really I really like like it, and of course, it's also weird for me because I always listen to the show at two x. And so, whenever I hear it in this mode, I'm like, okay, now we're like, you know, kind of putting the feet up, <laughs> chilling out. It's gonna be chill.
0: Can I can I give you one more thing about that? Yeah. Is that um, this is this is timely. Mm. Um, my the the thing that I said was, I want you to make it sound death Punky.
1: Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna pour one out. And
0: I don't know pour I don't know them. what. To what degree any of our shows are Daft Punky? Because then it was like, well, make it you know up, make it down, make it you know the a little NPR even. Daft Punky. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So.
1: <laughs> well, that's great. Um, anyways, I, I I enjoy it and I, I appreciate that it's it's uh, I don't know it, it does have a little bit of a New York vibe to it. I don't know that's that's sort of how I think about it. But um, mm. yeah. Well, anyways, wow. Okay, so today uh, was quite the day. Um, I would say it was sort of a bunch of fiascos uh, essentially, uh, I, I'm going to introduce kind of like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 behind the scenes for this, and then we'll, we'll get into the first clip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, like what we've been trying to do with this show is just figure out like, how can we make podcasting and the experience of, you know, the artifacts of podcasting become a little bit more interactive. How can we go a little bit deeper? Um, and so that's sort of the, the, the generation of, of the, the tech meme experience. And so today we're like, Hey, maybe there's a way, for us to actually record the audio from our phones, you know, in this clubhouse room. And again, you know, with the consent of the people who are, who are speaking and so on. Um, and, you know, let's just like try that. So Brian sent me a link to like how to do screen recording and that whole deal. And I was like, okay, cool. So I had the brilliant idea of maybe going a little bit further and piping the audio from the screen recording into Zoom, which then would go to a cloud recording. And then that would sort of merge the audio together. And maybe that would be a way that we could actually get this all together. Um so I tried that <laughs> and uh you know also sort of happening roughly around the same time is and, and I think maybe we'll get into this later in the show um there obviously have been this cottage industry of of apps that are being created around clubhouse and one of them that launched yesterday which was a you know I think became pretty big pretty fast is called Diarcon and essentially would take your clubhouse authentication token to act as you and then would allow you to, you know, manipulate the service, you know, through a private API. And I didn't use that service yesterday. I didn't sign in for it. I, you know, didn't, I was like, I'm not giving this third party, whoever they say they are and whatever, how legit they might be, um, access to my, my clubhouse account. Because, you know, if I get kicked out, like that would, that would really suck. And I wouldn't want that to happen. And yet almost immediately after we did the screen recording and did the testing, right? Uh, I, left the room. I shut down the room that we were um, experimenting in. And then I sent you the file and then I hopped back on clubhouse and suddenly the audio was gone, like completely gone. Nothing was coming into my, my AirPods. Like I, I turned off meaning, things. meaning,
0: meaning when you, when you got back onto um, uh, clubhouse that you couldn't hear the
1: audio. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. So, so I would like go right, into right. rooms and it was like completely silent. Now when you, you know, and so also I want to point out that when we were doing the screen recording, and piping the audio to zoom, one of the error messages or warnings that I got was you must kill your other phone call basically. Cause clubhouse thinks that I'm on a phone call, um, in order to continue this recording or whatever, or to join the room. And of course I didn't do that. And when we were in the room, no one could hear us, but Brian and I could still hear each other because we were already connected. So blah, blah, blah. And the next thing I know, like I can't hear anything and I, no one can hear me. And suddenly I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? So I went through this whole song and dance and and rigmarole about trying to like get back access. And anyways, uh, it became very scary because every room that I would go into, I would get this warning at the bottom that said, poor connection, you know, try to move closer or, you know, something like that. And I've, I've seen this before and I'm like, okay, maybe that's a performance issue, but here's why I really started to like melt down and why I'm a little bit flustered today because Apps, you know, like on the one hand, there's a whole like shadow banning conspiracy, which may or may not happen and might just be that someone blocked you. But in the case of other apps, they will actually give you kind of false error messages. You know, like, for example, if someone has blocked you on a social network, they may not want to actually out you or out the other person that has blocked you. And so when you try to interact with them, it'll just kind of like accidentally fail. Like, oh, that operation cannot be, you know, completed or, oh, there's like a network error and they'll just kind of like fudge it you know? And so I'm like, Oh no, like maybe they saw that I was recording this audio and, uh, you know, now, now they've like put the band hammer, you know, on me and everyone else that might've been associated with like this direcon thing or like around it or something. And so, um, anyways, it took quite a while. And, um, what I will say, and I will report after I tweeted about this and then a bunch of people were like, Oh my God, I'm having the same problem too. Um, is that it, it may be related to the uh, Agora infrastructure, which is what they're using to do and to pipe all the audio around. Um, Agora actually has fairly aggressive and, I guess, advanced kind of both geo-fencing and geo-limiting um, capabilities. And so uh, it might be that some people are identified either by IP address or something else because what happened was as I was debugging this, um, I switched off the Wi-Fi network that I was on, which has AT&T DNS, and switched it over to um, my Google Fi uh, cellular service, and suddenly the audio came back. And then I turned off my cellular cellular audio, and I went back to the other Wi-Fi, and then the audio was gone. So it was a very clear cause and effect going on there. And so you know, I've talked to some other people who were having similar issues, and they've reported some similar behavior, but for other folks who actually did sign into their diary like to the, the Diacon service, uh, they have not been able to get their accounts back, um, or, or to hear audio basically. So essentially it sounds like they have been muted from a social audio network, <laughs> which be, defeats be, be, the purpose because
0: of, because of, because of Diacon you your side. Uh,
1: that, that is my speculation. I do not have confirmation of that, but the number of people who have replied to my tweets, basically saying that they're experiencing this problem, um, there is a large overlap with the people who did use the Direcon service. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see.
0: I was thinking it was the ghost of Steve jobs. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: anyway, go on. All right. So anyways, with that, uh, let it, let's get, let's get started with the first, the first clip here. Um, you know, I was, I was actually going to kind of, Look at yesterday's stories and today, but I think we'll just do a little bit of commentary uh, coming from both. Um, we will have a guest um, coming more like around the, the top of the hour, I guess. So we've got a little bit of time. You know, Brian, you and I can just like jam in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I think there's some really interesting things that, that uh, you know, you've covered in the last couple of days. So let me get started with this very first clip.
0: Sources are now saying that Hopin is looking to raise around $400 million in a Series C at a greater than $5 billion pre-money valuation. One source told TechCrunch that the company's ARR has grown to $60 million, implying a valuation multiple of 80 to 100x if the valuation we're hearing pans out.
1: All right, so this is the story about Hopin. And Hopin, I think, is just... I don't know, like, I guess what I found really interesting about... This story. I mean, first of all, just the money. I mean, it's just like insane. These guys started in 2019, so it's barely even. I mean, maybe it's like a year and a half old, and they are a virtual events platform, right? You know, uh, right. I guess uh, who else is in that space? I mean, uh, you know, Eventbrite. I know wanted to pivot into that space, but of course, they're much more about real world ticketing, and so they've done some virtual things. But um, I think Hopin is the one that has done the best of pulling together, you know, video and. Uh, event organizing tools. Um, and they just, they're on a tear. So the thing that I was thinking about, you know, in this was, was first of all, I wonder if this is the kind of money that you can raise during a pandemic because you're clearly solving problems of the pandemic. And so when people look around, it's really easy to essentially feel the salience of the the solution that you're bringing to market. And then the question is, do you have some huge competitive advantage because you're operating in this time period, which is a rarefied time and it's a unique time when everything is sort of, you know, we're in the upside down world. Um, and does, does that even make sense? You know, when we come out of this, will virtual events and all those things continue to persist, which I suppose that's what these bets are on, right? Is that virtual events are going to be the standard bearer going forward. Um, and so then Hopin can sort of become one of the, the sort of name brands in that, in that space. I don't know. What, what well,
0: let me ask you this. Um, I've, I've used, uh, I've bought tickets for, I participated in several live virtual events. Do you know whether or not you've participated in any virtual event that Hopin facilitated? Uh,
1: I think I actually have. Um, I think it's happened at least, I would say, or I've been to maybe one or two, um, but i i haven't used like all the all the tooling i haven't been you know i guess like my my canonical experiences with virtual and online events happened during my on deck experience last summer and in on deck they used a bunch of different video apps from icebreaker to uh donut to several other ones to kind of facilitate you know people kind of coming together in a virtual space and some worked better than others some used kind of you know spatial audio to simulate proximity and um you know there were sort of like breakout rooms you know with zoom and then there were sort of like physical desks where you could like walk up to someone and kind of like you know listen in and you know lots of like i would say playfulness kind of in that space but it feels like hop and really built a business and you know the last part of that clip there was that you know they're at four hundred thousand dollars in arr i mean arg like that's like really like pretty substantial you know in in the, in the yeah, let space, me right? let me
0: let me give you let me give you the the solid numbers so Please. um they they were founded in uh, mid 2019. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I said on the show that um, you know if if a, a company like Toast, which was a restaurant company that everyone thought was toast uh, six months ago, um, is about to IPO and they survived, like this is the inverse of that. Where Hopin, if they were you know, founded in 2019, there's no way that they could have known that like virtual conferences they were, they were made for this is, and, and, and we'll get to how like, this is uh, analogous to like the zoom question of all startups. But, um, so, so the numbers are, um, their ARR has grown to $60 million. Um, and they're, they're looking to raise, $400 400 million dollars at a greater than 5 billion dollar uh, pre-money valuation. So that that that's a multiple of 80 to 100x yeah. you know depending on, on what they get. And so again like if you if we're talking about if you founded this company uh, 18 months ago there's no way that you could have figured that you would be perfectly positioned for uh, the covid times, right? Yep. Now, the question is a la Zoom, you know. Uh, depending on, uh, I'm not. Uh, we're not, you know, Wall Street people. We're not financial people. Right. Like, um, people are are wondering. Well, will Zoom a year from now? Where with or Zoom, right? Um, so the question is, if you're hopping, uh, is 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 the door closing? Are you getting out Indiana Jones style and you pull your hat out before the door closes, mm-hmm. or? Is this a real scenario, as a lot of people are saying, where our entire lives have changed in the sense that maybe we don't go back to the office five days a week? Maybe we don't go to conferences. Maybe we don't have to do those meetings. Maybe you don't have to fly to New York or L.A. once a month because you can do it remotely. And in that scenario, is Hoppin perfectly positioned um, to to be a platform for, for that new reality?
1: yeah i mean i think I think it 's going to be well <laughs> i don 't know we don 't know, but I think it 's going to be both i think ultimately the 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 fact or, or at least what I hear from most analyses is that many, many people that used to believe that you had to go and get on a flight and like go someplace um, actually turns out you don 't really need to anymore and it 's kind of nice to sort of like you know be hanging out with your kids most of the time and actually to get that you know adult parent time that parents wanted for so long. And it seemed that the market would never kind of offer them that chance, and so if these virtual events can actually be quite good, and they're a fraction of the cost, and it's all software, then the upside for Hopin is going to be enormous, right? Just like any other software business. So it seems like you know, like lightning just struck for them at you know the perfect moment, um, and. It's 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 crazy actually. I, I think I was looking up um I don't know, what was his name? Jonathan um the CEO, basically like graduated from uh like school like not too long ago. So he's like, you know, pretty young guy, you know, probably a relatively small team. And I just like the money just kind of makes me think, wow, like there is something a little bit different here, or they've just got product market fit at the exact moment where they should have. Now there are a couple other angles well, okay, go for it. Yep.
0: I was gonna say they also recently acquired. Uh, like, if if we're talking about like a nascent market, if you're talking about like a an Uber Lyft sort of situation, right. Right. Exactly. Their main competitor was Steamyard, and they just acquired them for 250 million dollars. Interesting. Um, yes, so um, like apparently they're they're uh, according to what I'm reading right now. Uh, uh, going back and reading this thing. Um, Both companies had solid stats, Hmm. and um, both of them felt like that they were maybe a year away from IPO scale, which says to me that maybe they were both um, killing it in terms of like um, you know um, you know their their month over month numbers, and they did the smart thing, which you know. 10 years ago, Uber and Lyft should have done, which is like, all right, we're going to both come out of the space and we're going to kill each other. And it's going to be hugely expensive, or we can just combine forces now. So like, that's an interesting thing to me that if this is a space that's going to be um, very interesting, then the the playing field is already leveled because they, they've combined forces.
1: You know, so I, I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I think on the one hand, so I actually encountered Streamyard like independently um just because I've been paying a lot of attention to the live streaming space. And if those two came together, right? Then you have sort of events, digital virtual event production on the one hand, and you have live streaming on the other. And you have a set of, you know, people and teams who have been designing and solving problems in that space for at least some period of time. You know, it's it's not like I don't know. It feels like the SPACification of something where you just like, okay, let's put a bunch of money into like this other company, which then sort of obtains the other company. They sort of merge together. And then that becomes the competitor against maybe it is Eventbrite. Maybe it's someone else. I'm not quite sure exactly who they're competitive with, but I do think one of the other things that I, um, I saw recently, and I would highly recommend folks to check this out is that Peter Kafka did a great interview with Tim Westergren from uh, live sessions. Tim Westergren, of course, famously had built Pandora previously. Um, and that company, well, you know, like radio and all the rest it's, it's, it's a tough business. The, the business model is a little, you know, fucked. Um, but what he's doing is a new, uh, product called sessions, I believe. And I think if you check it out, it's at, let me find the link here. I think it's like live sessions or sessions live or something, uh, sessionslive.com. Um, I just, I think like what they're doing for musicians is super interesting and there's an opportunity to do something in the non like musical act space where there are just kind of virtual events that are going on constantly. And there's like programming and, you know, maybe it's drafting off of the same kind of momentum that something like, like clubhouse has, um, you know, there's another product out there called Luma, which is really well designed. Um, and they seem to be another sort of competitor in the space. I've seen a lot more of their events. They actually, um, spun up a clubhouse room, um, page, like a landing page for clubhouse rooms. So I guess the, the, the other thing that I want to point out, and there's, um, I saw this tweet actually, I thought in the hop in Twitter account where their cadence of launches is like super significant. So they're moving fast, they're exploring, they're building, they're learning, um, all during this, you know, remote period. And so the fact that they haven't slowed down, I think is, is super significant. And that's, that's true. I think for any tech company, um, You know, so, so I'm looking at that. And then, you know, the other thing that, that I guess like at a high, okay, two more things. One is that this is a company out of, out of London. And so uh, what's going on, you know, in London, is this like, is this the biggest raise that's happened sort of like in that community for some time? Like is, is, you know, finally like that scene picking up we've talked a lot about the, let's say the, if not the fragmentation, kind of like the de-atomization of the Silicon Valley scene. So like there's more of these tech hubs that are actually popping up. Is this you know London sort of big entree into the scene? That's interesting. And then the last thing that I'd uh, curious to get your your take on is just the way in which video is f- rapidly becoming the new basic unit of digital media. I, I think it's just sort of obvious, but uh, whether it's you know streaming audio is like sort of in one end of the spectrum, but video itself is becoming a platform that so many people are building on, and um, I think that's really important.
0: Um, says a man on a entirely audio uh, <laughs>
1: platform right now. Sure, but I'm talking uh, about like... like anyways, you, you get what I'm saying.
0: When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit Collide.com slash Ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot slash Ride, Collide.com slash ride. ZocDoc. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, again, my question about all of these virtual things is it, it, it depends on, and I'm I'm trying to read up more as we're talking about this. It's unclear to me. uh, Talking about things that we've been talking about lately, like you can see how this sort of, um, virtual space, uh, could serve a creator economy, or is it replacing the, um, (laughs) the conference industrial complex? Right. Um, and, and one of the things that I remain skeptical about, and I remain skeptical about to what degree we will be all working virtually, uh, I, I think we are, but to the degree i I remain skeptical. Um, I still am not sure that, um, that you can, if, 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 if hop in, uh, you know, they're, they're building a platform for doing virtual things and things like, I, I get it, understand they're, they're perfectly positioned, but, um, you know, as soon as, uh, the next, uh, web conference in Portugal is like, I'm, as soon as I'm vaccinated, I'm going to go. Right. Right. And, and, and so I, I, I don't know. I'm so skeptical and I've participated in virtual conferences all year and you have too. you know, but I don't know that you I think that I'm the most skeptical about the fact that you can replace the conference because what people go for, in in the same way that I have I have participated in virtual stand-up shows, virtual concerts. But if you told me tomorrow I could go to a real concert or a real stand-up show, I'm fucking there, right? So just, you in, know, in that same. So here so is here's, yeah, here's my pushback
1: because uh, I think the the exact energy that you're you're bringing to this question is will will persist and I don't think that live events in person, you know, are going away, you know, post vaccine, post vaccine. However, and I think this is the big lift that Hopin stands to capitalize on. If every event that previously required you to be there, uh, has an online component. In other words, if hybrid becomes the default, right. Then essentially all the content and and this is, let me put it this way. When, uh, when we would produce events, you know, for Google or like developer events and things like that, so many of, uh, in so much of the content that we would sort of put online and stream online would get this kind of, um, long tail audience that would sort of persist over time. And so I do think that there's obviously going to be an importance of, you know, coming together, breaking bread, seeing each other face to face, you know, kind of like sniffing around each other, like, you know, animals do like that's kind of our, our jam, but there is also a long tail value prop for this content where you can either put a paywall on it or you can do membership. And so the whole structure of the way in which content is sort of massively produced, where you had to be there to experience it, I think is gone. I think Apple demonstrated the quality of execution that you can get, you know, with their uh, developer event this year. And although not everyone else is going to have that, I mean, I, I did attend, you know, a good portion of Spotify stream on event and... It was, you know, the, the, the production value was, was quite high and quite good, and it was all virtual. So I think it's going to be both. I think for people that want to get together, that want to see each other's faces, cool, that'll happen, that'll be part of it. And the good news for Hopin is that they can actually do both. So they are a hybrid platform, and I think they're much better positioned to build for that than, uh, than it seems like Eventbrite, because it seems like Eventbrite is, it was caught a little bit flat-footed in terms of having a platform that can move quickly to, to take advantage of this moment.
0: And, and clearly Hoppin is smart enough to know that. And, you know, the, the argument that I'd make is, is similar to the, literally the, the clubhouse skeptical argument, which is clubhouse is like a, a conference, but. You, you can't when you leave the room to like uh, you know uh, network and chit chat with people like there is no there is no hallway yeah. right and so like that's the magic of conferences where it's like oh my god i haven't seen you in five years now uh, i know that the hoppin people are smart enough to be thinking about it, I, and I mean, I that and they're trying to build that that
1: they actually have that you know i really yeah like, 100%. so if you go to their solutions like they've got a bunch of things and Like they've got all the way from the casual up to like the, the sort of buttoned up corporate event where people are not ready for the future. Like, you know, so I think that's fine. All right. I think we've, we've, we've dug a big hole and we've, plop this thing in it. We're going to put this one to bed. Um, I'm going to reset the room. Let everyone know, by the way, that this is the tech meme experience. This is me and Brian jamming on the top news stories, mostly the tech news stories of the day, trying to put these things into some historical context to just jam it out, talk it out. What does this mean? You know, what are the things that didn't fit into uh, his daily podcast show? And with that, let's get to the next uh, segment. Let me load this up here. Where the hell is my player? There it is. Okay. Great. Here we go. This is is a big one. Get ready to rumble on this one.
0: You can think that the FTC's case against Facebook is weak and also believe that the period from 2016 to 2021 saw remarkably little innovation among American social networks, at least in terms of the basic user behaviors they inspire. The market for social products became incredibly concentrated. Facebook and Google built a duopoly in digital advertising and their vast size and unpredictable effects helped to trigger a global backlash against American
1: tech giants. Okay. So this one was just, I don't know. This this one and the next one are actually related, but uh, we're going to dig into this one because basically what what Casey Newton uh, put out in his um, newsletter, Performer, which of course this is, you know, his business now. Uh, Um, Uh, Platformer. Platformer. God damn it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I feel corrected and I feel triggered. Um, anyways, so this, que- I, I, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like there's a lot of conversation around, you know, monopoly and around single player control or domination of markets. We've talked about this when it comes to Facebook and Australia. Um, we've talked about it in general, like what types of innovation have been inhibited by virtue of there being, you know, sort of monopolists or oligarchs kind of in power. And it's, it's a good question. One of the things that I think was brought up in this segment was about how that period from 2016 on essentially. So Yeah. Can I, yeah, can please. I
0: contextualize it a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Um, the, the argument that Casey is making is essentially this. And I agree with this a thousand percent. Isn't it funny that social has gotten really competitive again? <sighs> like, so in the midst of the antitrust, you know, stuff on facebook and and whoever but you know let's let's talk about um social networks um all of a sudden there is tiktok there is clubhouse there is substack there is uh all of these things and and you know i i said today like yeah it did kind of feel like for about a half a decade like let's say roughly between the time that um you know, so Snapchat he, yeah, he came basically out says, and, you
1: know, once, yeah. once Facebook copied Snapchat, it was like, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. If anybody tries to do anything novel or unique,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, basically mm-hmm.
1: Facebook so, is going to copy them and cut them off at the knees. That was, that was the,
0: thesis. so the, uh, so the basis argument is, is all of a sudden, um, Uh, social networking is super hot and thus super competitive. So if everyone's pointing their guns at Facebook and I competitively, it's like Facebook, Facebook could say, Hey, look, this is a crazy, exciting ecosystem right now. And thus go ahead and make your point because I think there's a lot to poke in here.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. Sorry, something very strange is happening on my phone and I don't know if it's because I've been hacked or because this is just the nature of clubhouse these days, but literally my, oh no, 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 it's, it's fine. I think my, my profile, like the little slider thing, when you tap on someone's face, like is coming up and I, I'm not at all touching my phone. It's super weird. So just if, if Mm. I disappear, you'll know that's what I'll, I'll, I'll carry on. Okay. So let's, 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 okay. So I like one of the questions that I have though is, and I guess I, Okay to start from the top, what is a social network? And what does competition in the social network landscape actually look like? And you can point to, of course, growing and, you know, semi-healthy platforms like, you know, Clubhouse, TikTok, to some degree, Snapchat. Um, But there are thousands or tens of thousands of smaller social apps that are all out there, right? And I don't know if I don't know what competition is supposed to look like essentially that we, we think is okay. Right? Like I suppose maybe the anti-argument is to say, well, if Instagram had stayed independent and if WhatsApp had stayed independent, then essentially we would have uh, multiplayers involved and they would all be competing and they would all have different advertising models. Or you
0: know what, when, when people say that, I think that the implicit thing that they're saying is that Facebook would be an also ran at this point. Like when people say that I always take that to mean Zuckerberg would get his comeuppance.
1: I don't understand. What does that mean? Like, like Facebook would, you know, because go the way of bright kite.
0: Right. Because when people say that to me, what I hear is that, um, Facebook, the big blue app, has never been able to iterate and be innovative. The only reason that they're still so dominant is because they absorbed other people or they copied yeah, other people. You know, that's okay. what I hear I'm, when people say that.
1: I'm going to call bullshit because I just don't think
0: – Oh, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying that's what I hear when people I'm, say that.
1: I'm not saying I'm calling bullshit on you. I'm just saying I'm calling bullshit. <laughs> like the, the, the problem is the way in which we, I think, conceptualize what Facebook is. And if you want to say that, you know, Facebook's one innovation was the newsfeed, which pissed everyone off, but gave everybody what they wanted. That is the basic Faustian deal that we have struck with that platform. We both want to like smell each other's butts, but we don't want our own butt smelled. like, that's just, that's just like the thing. That's just like, you know, human nature, dog nature, whatever it is. Like, and so as a result, Facebook won social for so long because they were the best at doing Uh, maybe two or three things. One was getting people to share information on the platform so that other people would see it. And then the second thing was putting it in front of the people that wanted to see it and making it somewhat accessible. The problem was, was that it's actually very, very hard to translate people's preferences about who sees what about them into a way that gives them control that also works the way that computers work. And so that dynamic is you know it's it's actually the relationship between humans and their computers that's been unhealthy, and Facebook is just kind of a progenitor of all sorts of new ways to experience a negative, semi-abusive, sort of like I, I'm not listening to you kind of like relationship between computers and humans because we don't know how to communicate between these two plat these two contexts. Does it sort of make sense? Like yes, give Facebook you know as much shit as you want to, but. I don't think that it's fair to say that they only copied and that's the only way that they actually got better. Like they've done a lot of things with groups. They did a lot of things with bots and messenger. They of course have learned from, and they copy, they fast follow like, like no one else, but they're actually really good at it. Google is not good at it. Google has a hard time coming up with another act as well. I mean, they spend billions of dollars in their moonshots and, and to what end? Like, so I'm just trying to look at this and say, well, what does a healthy competitive technology environment look like? Okay, where humans uh, me, are involved me. in that innovation cycle.
0: Okay, well, let me let me play devil's advocate mm-hmm. and make the argument for what I believe is Casey's argument. Yeah. In terms of you're asking, what is the innovation that hadn't happened? Yes. Well, t- TikTok is a functionally different social platform than anything that came before it 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 doesn't it, it their algorithms don't work in the same way that facebook's algorithms work mm-hmm. or or twitter's algorithms work et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. um and so when you talk about things like um uh uh substack that's text which apparently facebook wasn't paying attention to when you talk that's about things true. like clubhouse like, there's so much text well, uh, on facebook but hold, on, hold on hold on hold on give me a second yeah, yeah. give me a second they weren't they weren't prioritizing that they weren't making that like the thrust of their new thing they were going into uh blockchain they were going into um, um e-commerce and things they were trying to monetize friggin' um uh uh whatsapp and and uh instagram and so in the sense that, in the classical sort of sense of disruption from below, they took their eye off the ball. And these other things that are doing the things, that are that are making interesting plays in areas that Facebook wasn't prioritizing in terms of products, right? I I do think that Casey has the point, And I think that the key point to his essay, and this is what I 100% agree with him on, is if this if if you had a substack if you had a clubhouse if you had a tiktok and this was 2012 2014 they would all have been bought and not just by facebook i'm not saying facebook would be the only acquirer but his point in this essay is that we have kind of um a a sort of a a a, a beautiful period here where hmm. And I've made this point on the podcast before where the thing that I always worried about in terms of if you have these oligarchs at the top is that they kneecap innovation as soon as it rears its head and they add it to their utility belt of features. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the fact and in case and I'm sorry, I, I know I'm going long no, on, on and on, but he, he references Periscope, like perfect goddamn example, right? Or Vine. About yep. like. Mm-hmm or Vine or something, anything that got in in a a five years ago or eight years ago era would have been immediately absorbed into someone else's utility belt and kneecapped before it could even – it's not just that that company didn't have a chance to become the company that it could have become, but that idea, that iteration didn't have the chance to be as innovative. As it could have become because it's immediately absorbed into the mothership. And you and I just did, uh, last week, um, <laughs> a clubhouse, uh, talking about what happens when you get absorbed into a mothership. And okay. I've yes. gone on for too long. Sorry.
1: No, I, well, I like, th- I think this is important and this is good because what, what I hope to, to do sort of in this conversation is to illuminate these somewhat divergent perspectives because I, I, on the one hand, yes, I'm trying to imagine an alternative world and maybe I am, you know, I, I, I check myself all the time to make sure that I'm not kind of like a get off my lawn, you know, kids kind of, you know, like I'm I'm not turning into that person because I've gone through so much of this where we tried to, and we're building competitive ecosystems and no one gave a shot and, or shit. And the other thing that seems to happen too like who is to blame for this? Because the economics of this model are that you either, you know, grow as fast as you can and get sucked up. And that is the exit st- state, or you are an, an insane person that's, you know, quasi narcissistic or, you know, somehow, I don't know exactly how to like position these people like in society, but you know, you decide to go it alone and to stay independent and to build out your own thing, you know, with your own resources. And then you have to raise $400 million at a $6 million evaluation in order to have a shot at anything, or you have to have multi billions of dollars of advertising to to sort of triage into Facebook feeds and Snapchat feeds and all the other feeds. So what I'm, I guess like in that, in that sense, is it the investors that are to blame? Is it the economic model that's to blame? Because it feels like there were a bunch of, if not sort of semi-innovative, like sort of, you know, interesting little apps that got out there, but no one would pay attention to them. It's like no one pays attention to these things Mm -hmm. until they get to a certain level of like until they get that escape velocity. And I think that that's the thing that I'm really struggling with. It's like there were people that were trying to build things back then and either they were shut down or they didn't get funding or they were forced to sell because you had to pay off the previous investors that had given you the jet fuel to like, you know, get into outer orbit. And then the only thing you can do, you know, is join that space station because that's the next stop.
0: on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Easy. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Right. And 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 listen, you know, you had experience in that era and 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 maybe some um, war wounds from that era. <laughs> but that, that could be another thing. Okay, there maybe there are two things that are true right now, okay. which is number one, Facebook can't buy shit. They know that and every single startup knows that and every single investor knows that, right? Well, let's be clear, they so can't that- buy
1: shit because of the antitrust concerns. And because if they do right, buy things, right. the FTC now might actually step in and say no, 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 you can't. And however, let me let me like su- suggest this. What we also don't know is the number of firms whether it's, you know, a Clubhouse or, you know, I mean TikTok was going to be acquired by a number of very strange, you know, bedfellows. But like, mm, well,
0: yeah, that's another story. It's another
1: story. So set that aside, right? Like, I mean, the government in that case actually wanted to interrupt what, like a like a like a Chinese success story. So let's just talk about Clubhouse. Like, Clubhouse maybe could have been acquired by any number of different parties. You know, Microsoft has been sniffing around Pinterest, but instead, you know, they've decided to go it alone. And the only way that Clubhouse can do what they want to do is essentially raise a hundred million dollars so that they have the war well, no, chest that's, that's what to compete. I, but But
0: Chris, that's what I'm saying is that, um, if you're, if you're an investor in any of these hot startups and, and we're talking, about two that are Andreessen Horowitz investments, but <laughs> yes. um, but I- any other thing like what what uh, the dispo or whatever sure. like you you have to assume if you're an investor in dispo right now you have to assume that you can't rely on Facebook to take you out in six months you can't rely on Google to take you out in six months I mean maybe Microsoft could do it but like like again what you just said from your your uh, war wounds <laughs> from a decade ago. Um, If you're an investor in anything that's hot right now, number one, Mm -hmm. you know that that route is maybe not closed, but it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And then number two, and I think we talked about this today a little bit on the show, is, by the way, if you're anywhere close... That you can sniff a public market, then you don't even need to be uh, absorbed into any other mothership right now because, god damn it, the public markets want you, and you can be spacked. You can you can do an IPO after a Series C. Like like right now, anybody can go public. So what I'm what I'm suggesting is it is a more beautiful scenario if you believe in a in a robust startup ecosystem. Philosophically, where you want companies to find what their true metier is as opposed to being a, a company like a periscope or whomever that just gets absorbed into someone else, so you can never find what your metier is and 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 your metier is not just like what your true calling in life is it 's also how are you actually supposed to make money and that 's not just you know um, a business model that 's also like there's innovation there for like a different way to make money. So when we're talking about these new social networks that are trying things like TikTok is these, these new ways of, of monetizing creators and, 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 it, you know, um, it's, if, if, if you get absorbed into Facebook five years ago, that's not a problem because they just eventually turn on the ads like they're doing to WhatsApp and, and Instagram, right? Uh, so I think it's a beautiful time because A, I don't think it's so easy to be absorbed by any of the oligarchs. And B, like there are much more uh, avenues for you to find your true calling as a company right now.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, I think that we've come to a place where – I mean, and I think like the, the show that we did last week, right, uh, where selling out – seven years ago used to be a thing that seemed like the thing to do because, you know, one, you get like, you know, a billion dollars, <laughs> which is its own thing. Uh And then you would also be working at a company that cared about social. Like social was never a guaranteed thing. Social was something that people looked at with disdain. They were skeptical of it. They were against right,
0: it. Look at the, look at the experience of Snapchat uh, at snap. Like,
1: yeah, totally. Um
0: Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Sorry.
1: And so, I feel like now that there are these creators, makers, you know, from, I think Kevin and and, and Mikey um, at Instagram are probably like the best kind of representation overall of, you know, what you just don't want to have happen to you because creating something that, you know, where you strike lightning twice is really, really hard to do. And so if you shoot your shot and then you get absorbed by, you know, one of these giants and then you know, you end up leaving after, you know, seven to 10 years and you've got the rest of your life ahead of you, but you've got to figure out like, what are you going to devote yourself to? And you're like, well, the problem that I wanted to solve is the one that I was solving when I was at, you know, Facebook, then that puts you in this existential mode. I mean, you know, like for example, uh, like Dennis Crowley, like I love that he's been solving the same problem for like yeah. the last twenty perfect years, perfect example, you know,
0: perfect example. And yeah,
1: he is a really great example where he actually was able to sell the same company and the same concept multiple times because he was so committed to it, and and just you know for everyone in the room who you know doesn't have the context, like Dennis Crowley started out with Dodgeball back in I think it was like two thousand five, and it was an SMS tool for checking into your location, which would then kind of. Um, propagate you you, wherever you checked in to your friends. So you could find out, you know, where your friends were, you know, now there's things like, like, I think Zenly, no one talks about Zenly, but like Zenly is like huge with like the youths. (laughs) There's a snap map, you know, where people are finding each other. Those, a lot of those concepts and ideas were pioneered a long time ago with really shitty user interfaces, but it was what was available to us at at the time. And so Dennis sold dodgeball to Google before Google cared about social. And he went in there and he's like, cool, I can use Google Maps. I can use Google Infra. Like, it's going to accelerate everything that I'm doing. And what he found was basically like crickets. And it was like, you know, pushing up a wall of molasses. Like, I'm not going to get anything done here. I can't make, like, movement forward on my vision. He leaves and starts Foursquare. And then, you know, through Swarm and other apps, basically gets a chance, a second shot, at building the thing that he wanted to build. And and like, I don't, like... The story of Foursquare, I don't know. Like, there's never been a movie or a book sort of written about it. And you know, like, to me, it's very interesting because I spent a lot of time training their machine learning models with all my check-ins over the years. <laughs> you know, and then it became a data company. Then it became an advertising company. And so I just don't know where these things end up because what you're talking about is like finding this core purpose of what your company is. And it seems like when you get to be an adult you turn out to be kind of boring and it's like you're like ad tech or you're fintech or
0: Mm, mm, you lose your soul. uh,
1: So well what what possibilities uh, are there for young people to be like, oh, when I grow up, I want to build an amazing social platform that brings everyone together and kumbaya. People are nice there. They don't treat each other like shit. Uh, you know the, the counter the
0: counter argument to that, and I get you because right, uh, Foursquare is essentially <laughs> sort of a gross. Uh, <laughs> it's a very d- data effective company now. <laughs> data advertising platform. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, no offense to anyone, but all right. <laughs> so, uh, bringing it back to to Casey's essay. Hmm. I'm going to use Snap as an example, Great. because Snap is founded in 2011, yep. right, and goes public in 2017. And and in Casey's essay, he points out that like when stories gets copied, that sort of like freezes um, social in the sense of well, no one wants to invest yeah, because in it because it starting- right? yes, was a yes, game of chicken, right? Yes, it was a game of chicken, right? And Snap okay. lost. Now, 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 now. Except for the fact that right. when I said earlier that um, they had to, they they turned down the three billion dollars offer. They right. they survived their stock going uh, almost to five dollars, right? And where are they now? Because when I said earlier, finding your metier, finding your, your your way to make money, what your company is supposed to be, Mm. because they turned down the $3 billion, because they stayed independent, because they survived. Again, if you have a good idea that um, someone comes in and takes you out for a couple billion dollars, you're only a good idea and a feature, and you don't you're not allowed the opportunity to become a good business because a good idea and a good feature is great. And that can become a good business, Mm. but you have to, you kind of have to go through the Valley of darkness to, to find that. I mean, and so (laughs) as, as as a perfect example, as a perfect example, think of WhatsApp And, 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 and Facebook is now monetizing WhatsApp, but at some point, let's say WhatsApp had, had remained independent and they were charging the $1 a year or whatever. At some point, they were going to have to do better than that $1 a year. I get right? like,
1: But one question that we'll never know is would they have, right? Like – No,
0: but, but I'm saying it's more healthy. I love to see companies. I love to see companies find that. And so I hate the idea that companies get kneecapped as soon as they have a good idea, have a good feature, and then they become part of somebody's utility belt. I'd rather, I'd rather see nine of those companies try it and fail and see the one that figures out. Uh, that goes through the valley of darkness and you know what? figures so, so out how again, to become like, a good company.
1: The biggest arguments against what you're saying are, is literally Facebook and Google. Because both of them turned down acquisition offers. And they decided to go it and do it alone. The number of companies that were acquired and were absorbed, they chose their own fate.
0: I'm going to uh, – you know what? I'm going to cut you off because <laughs> there's a funny thing about that. <laughs> uh, I've I've made this argument multiple times before. Okay. Do you know who the big acquirer is that would have come in and taken out Amazon at a five dollar stock? That would have come in and taken out Google, um, in let's call it two thousand one, two thousand two. That would have you know uh, that that would have gone into social and tried to own social. It was Microsoft, and and I've made this point so many well, times that people Microsoft always push. And pushed, it was Yahoo. Yes, um, and but Yahoo suffered a bit from the dot com bust. But you know, mm-hmm. my my point is, mm-hmm. it, people push back on me this all the time. Mm-hmm. If Microsoft hadn't been fighting the antitrust stuff, mm. if they weren't mm. in a similar position as that Facebook the is fact in right that now, they were in
1: a potato sack that was made by the Justice Department—that
0: is why Google. That is why Google, mm-hmm. is why Google mm. was able to go beyond being a feature and become a good company. That's why Facebook and social, as an entire category, wasn't absorbed into the Borg because Facebook well, and, and, oh, and Apple sorry, Mike,
1: and and the iPhone, right?
0: Right, and, because Microsoft knew functionally it couldn't buy anybody from 1998 to 2008. They couldn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they they bought ad tech companies and things like that, but there was no way that the government would have let them buy Amazon or Facebook or anybody like that. And so, I'm saying, again, if that's the scenario, and I think Casey's making that argument too, if that's the scenario today, um, I love it. It's healthier, Um, not that I, not that I want, um, companies not to be able to make acquisitions, but like for an ecosystem of the next generation, like that's healthy to me is that you can, you can get beyond having a good idea and getting, get taken out for five or $10 billion. You know,
1: it's, it's, it's so, I think, I think we're both, we're both right. And we're probably both wrong. I think what, what comes to mind is this great Kurt Vonnegut novella, uh, called Harrison Bergeron. And in this story, this this character Harrison Bergeron basically he lives in the society where there can be nobody that is exceptional. And essentially, what happens is for those people who are super bright and super intelligent, they essentially have to wear these you know headbands. Maybe they're Oculus Quests. I'm not sure. And every hour or so, there's this massive gong that goes off that gives you know this this Harrison Harrison character uh, this massive headache. And so essentially he can't have long-term like thought or memory creation. And so essentially becomes average like everybody else. And one of the questions that I think we're, we're kind of like dancing, well, not dancing around, but like sort of investigating is this question of when does the potato sack go on a company that has become so successful and so powerful and so strong? I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, whether you're putting the kryptonite in, you know, into Superman's, you know, underwear, or, you know, you're sort of feeding, uh, Hulk, what did he need? I don't, know. I don't know. There was some way to defeat Hulk. I don't know. Whatever. Like, you know, sort of like the Marvel sort of universe thing. Like, where essentially they get so powerful and so strong. They're like, you guys are, are sort of like, you know, fucking everything up now. And we need to, like, open it up and oxygenate, as, as Prof G likes to say, the, the marketplace. And allow other little, like, shoots to grow. Because you guys have become so dominant that you're restricting the, the creative space for what's possible. And so, look... I, I would not want anyone to come away from this conversation thinking that I I am not in favor of competition. I think what I'm trying to ask about is what do we put up as being the thing that people aspire to, to become like, what does a successful company look like? You know, for uh, the last two or three years, I would say I was like Slack is kind of like the, the shining example of a company that hopefully can stay independent and also deliver a great product and have a great, voice and Chris what happens again
0: uh, chris again i'm going to give you snap snap is now just past a uh, hundred billion dollar market cap okay and and it was it was less than two years ago that people were wondering if snap was going to be so
1: do you think that extent. snap is ultimately going to so so i guess my question then is and i'm not saying that that size has to be a determinant or the thing that you no, strive for i'm
0: not saying that either well
1: no. i i understand but i'm, I'm my, my my question is more like Snap seems to have carved out like a pretty good business for itself as has Twitter you know and
0: <sighs> cuz they had to because they had to because no one was going to come in and take them out um now maybe uh, i there were there's been rumors about people maybe coming in to take out twitter but but um
1: well yeah we don't know what's happening with the management there but yeah mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's another story. But okay, I'm saying Snap is the perfect example, and and maybe you can put this on good entrepreneurs, people that are like, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it. Fuck it, I'm going to do it live. Right. Like, like. But at the same time, this is a company that is now ten years old and was not taken out for three billion dollars four years into it, and so Snap has had to find its way, its path in life. And um, again, not everyone can do that. And I I hear what you're saying about that, but like, I'd rather, I'd rather there be the opportunity and not just the opportunity. I'd rather be, I'd rather companies be forced into that sort of thing rather than um, always have the easy out of like, okay, we're going to come in and take you out for a couple of billion dollars. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. This is the point where my audio cuts out. And like I said, your mileage may vary on this. But here is a one-sided conversation about a topic that Chris, I thought, was really on fire about. So here's Chris's end of that. Hopefully it makes sense.
1: I mean, I think I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see where all of these companies are at by the end of this year. I think this is like a pivotal year for, for Twitter, for snap. Um, you know, TikTok will figure out exactly what kind of company it is, you know, behind the scenes and what it wants to become and where it sort of fits in the market. Um, you know, we didn't even mention YouTube and there's a bunch of others. So, you know, we could obviously, you know, continue on this, uh, indefinitely, but we do have one more segment and one more topic. And so I'm going to kick that one off, uh, now. <laughs> I wanted to speak for myself. Thank you very much. Uh, let me let me reset the room first just so you guys all know where we're at. So this is the Tech Meme Experience. This is a, at least it's been a somewhat regular show where Brian and I basically dis- dissect the, the news of the day, the stuff that's interesting and compelling to either of us. We go a little bit deeper, provide a little more context, both historical as well as personal to the stuff that is happening out there on the interwebs and that is controlling our lives and our consciousness. Um, we are... That's right. So basically, if you are a listener um, and you did happen to already listen to today's show, then some of these things will be familiar to you. For those who are either not subscribers or didn't listen yet, we're basically excerpting parts of the show and bringing it into this context. Um, I do want to point out that Brian and I are recording our part of the show and then we are going to open it up later. I don't know. We haven't decided if we're recording that part or not, but um, actually, I don't think we can. So we will not record that part we we <laughs> We did not plan for that, um so you'll be able to hear this our conversation again later in, the, in a weekend bonus episode but uh that is all to say that um we will be opening it up to conversation after we we dig into this this topic quite a bit um I did actually invite Josh, who writes for the information and wrote this story um to join us. He's on kid duty, so he may or may not be here, but um I just you know. So so first of all, this this tweet and this comment, where this person was like, "Hey, you know, what's the big deal?" Like, you know, the, so let me let me back up before I even get into like what he's saying, where it's like, "Oh, there's no you know mono, monopolistic concern here." <laughs> okay, yeah. So here's here's why I like you know I'm all sort of up in arms about this. Um, I like. On the one hand, I live in and, you know, love the, the Apple ecosystem. Like it's, there's so many things that are great about it in terms of providing just, you know, a sense of, if you're going to live a a semi carefree and like digital existence, there are aspects of the Apple universe that I feel like, you know, kind of protect you uh, from, from the nefarious actors that are out there. Now, there are plenty of people that will say that that's bullshit or whatever, but that's fine. I think for the most part, when I got my parents over to a Mac, you know, my tech support calls diminished greatly, you know, et cetera. So what I've been watching with what Apple has been doing over the last several iterations of both Mac OS and iOS and their just developer story in general is that they they stayed out of the social game for a long time. You know, I don't know who it was that built uh, iTunes ping or, you know, game center, but all of their social products just kind of feel like they're kind of like add-ons and they're not really core to their strategy. However, more recently, Apple has started to move more intently towards, you know, authentication, you know, whether it's touch ID, face ID, other types of biometrics. They're doing things with payments. They have, you know, hardware that has, you know, that's isolated from the operating system so that it's secure. So they are creating this world that you live in inside of, and the way that you authenticate into that is really, really important. And the way in which it's built into the operating system is incredibly important. So you'll notice, for example, that you don't sign into, you know, oh look, there's Josh. Let's bring Josh up. Perfect timing. <laughs> I had, I had you. Uh, what's the word? Not, it's like a snake charmer. I had you. Your, um, your. You're, um, it's an M word. Okay, thank you. It's an M word. Okay, great. Josh, welcome. Hi. We have like literally just started talking about your segment. I was, you know, about to start ranting about, or I was actually sort of in full rant mode, uh, about the essentially like the Apple universe and the way in which it has building, been building this warm, cushy cocoon like environment for people over the last several years. And that identity is a piece that unifies a lot of these things. And that the reason why I am looking at this and uh, Honestly, I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other. Like, I kind of, you know, like, sign in with Apple is a good product. But the reason why it's a good product and a good experience is because it's baked into the operating system. It's not sign in with Google and then a native UI pops up and I sign in with my Google account. If I sign in with Google or if I sign in with Facebook, I'm being brought to these web browsers where, especially if I have two factor turned on, not only do I have to, you know, use some kind of password manager, which is probably, you know, built by, Apple. If you're a normal person, or it's built by One Password. If you are not as normal, uh, and then you have to go and get your secondary token, which maybe comes in during you know from the Messages app, which is not super secure, um, or you have it generated by the Google Authenticator, or again like One Password, or Last Pass, or something else. And that experience is, look, I authenticate myself so many times. I, I know for sure who I am, but my computer doesn't always know, and that friction grates on you after a while. So the fact that I can just push a button with my fingerprint or I can just look at my phone and give it an ugly face and it like knows who I am, but Google and Facebook and no one else can, can do that through my device to me feels like the crux of this conversation. And so the reason why this story like spoke to me so much was because back in, um, September of 2019, you know, I tweeted about how, uh, Apple was making a change to its developer program guidelines that essentially said that if you allow any other third-party or social login service on your app or website or whatever and you wanted to be in the App Store you also had to add support for basically Apple ID. And to me that is at least that that smells like seems like, you know, farts like monopoly power if I've ever seen it. And yet no one really seemed to give a shit at the time. And now we find out that perhaps the DOJ is like, oh, actually, that sign-in with Apple button, actually, that's kind of important. Anyways, that's, that's some of the background from my perspective. Josh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about, uh, about the story? Yeah, I mean, like, like my real concern here is like twofold. One, it's just the market power, right? So if you're a developer and you run afoul of Apple, for example, let's say you call your, your app Amphetamine you know, just to make up something totally random. Uh, And then they boot you out of the app store. You lose access to all of your, you know, customers, to your ability to meet the market, you know, that you want to play in. And of course, you know, like, I mean, if you think about any store owner, a store owner could choose to, you know, boot a product out, but that presumes that, you know, if you're, let's say on, on, you know, Main Street or something, there are multiple stores that could sell the same items, but there's only one store that can sell iOS apps. Uh, yeah, actually that's, that's, I think that's true. And so, well, okay. Oh, oh, hold hold on. But like the, 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 the identity piece though, the sign in piece, this is, this is to me like where it becomes significant because there are two aspects of, uh, sign in with Apple that are really important. And, you know, again, I'm just, I'm trying to sort of, I guess, understand, uh, and, and on the one hand, not draw too heavily on, previous examples in the marketplace like for example uh credit cards you know credit card is one form where my transaction data is kind of stored with one company yes i can get like a pdf out or something or maybe like a csv file but i can't just kind of like take my mastercard and swap it over to be a visa card you know like that doesn't work right uh however and I think this is where it becomes interesting. And one way that Apple could solve this problem in a sense is to provide uh, identity portability. Uh, any of the players could, in fact, the DOJ could come in and say, you know what we want uh, identity portability for the web. You know, we can talk about web three later, but where the challenge is, is that one of the ways in which sign in with Apple is architected is that I could choose to basically provide fake email addresses in order to have a, a kind of anonymity or pseudonymity when signing into third-party services. In other words, um, a a unique email address is generated every time I use sign in with Apple and therefore it can't be commingled or traced across multiple apps. That's one of the privacy preserving aspects. However, that positions Apple in a central role of maintaining, you know, kind of essentially like a tree structure where there's like, okay, this is like, you know, Chris's actual Apple ID. And then here are all the other email addresses that are associated with it. And I may have dozens or hundreds of accounts over time, in multiple different providers. And so I become locked into Apple because I don't actually have control over the email addresses that are being generated to create those third party accounts. Now, yes. So, so my big concern here, right? So, so I think, I think I, I made clear my concern about Apple kind of aggregating all of your kind of pseudo identities and the essentially the keychain model that they have extends to all other apps. And so every app maker becomes dependent on, you know, the grace of Apple. Uh, as well as you know the the sort of you know positive behavior of those those customers, in order to exist, you know they have no relationship to the customer unless Apple says that that relationship can can exist, um, and so the problem that I have with any antitrust sort of regulation is that it seems to me that it's always backwards looking, and the world that we are going to move into over the next five to ten years is one in which we are continuously partially authenticated through all sorts of different biometrics. And each company is trying to find a way to, whether it's gate tracking or eye tracking or face tracking or voice tracking, to develop a kind of probabilistic likelihood that we know who this person is and we know that they have, you know, the permission or authorization to access, you know, certain services out in the world. Like we're still in this, you know, very early kind of, you know, know, clunker, uh, uh, model three era of the web, but as ubiquitous computing becomes the norm and we use our identity to sign into an autonomous vehicle, you know, that's, you know, just on the street and app clips become a way for us to walk up to a store and get the things that we want and just walk out. Identity is the thing that unlocks all of that. And so, I mean, this is a huge like unlock for Apple for sure. But the fact that if I'm locked into Apple and I can't kind of leave and move to another provider, because that's not built into the nature of the service, that leaves me with a, a deep deal of concern over the, the the nature and the future of competition uh, on the internet. I mean, it's completely rational that, you know, Apple is going to go down this path. What it does, though, is it completely interrupts the Facebook Connect model of app building that, you know, Facebook pioneered in many respects. And in some ways, it interrupts what you know, Google has been building with their sign in and authentication offerings. And maybe that's okay. And because I'm not in the Android world, I don't know how deeply the Google identity is baked into their devices. And I'm sure it is. I know for, for example, you know, my, my Google home devices and like, you know, televisions, like all these different devices that I have require me to authenticate against some service. I think the, the, the challenge and the issue is in figuring out what level of self sovereignty individuals should have. Over these digital identities and whether they should be portable. If, for example, you decide that you want to end your relationship with Apple, and you know, I just don't like. To me, this is a boiling the frog kind of moment where we're going to wake up and our legs are boiled off, and we're not going to be able to get out of the pot. And suddenly, we're going to look backwards and be like, "Oh, let's undo this," and it's going to be too late. Right. You know, it it does like it's an interesting point, right? Like, basically, if you. this is the funny thing. And, and maybe, you know, this is the old man coming out or maybe it's sort of a like grandfather thing or something at this point. I don't know, like whatever, but like where, if you are a person who has decided to take Apple up on their offer of offering you and granting you privacy and you use features of Apple sign in, which protect your privacy, that means that you are willing to let go of all those accounts. If you ever sever your relationship with Apple, and so I, I suppose if Apple just came out and said that and let people know, then I really wouldn't have that much of a problem with it because it's actually like a fairly well articulated system. And I think they're actually like, they are bringing some privacy, you know, to to the the, the world and to the web and, and and enabling payments and all sorts of other transactions that previously were really, really insecure to do. But if people are going into this relationship without a sense for how it could actually go poorly. And then they find themselves locked in. And I guess I say this because, you know, I've had my Instagram account hacked and when I lost that account, I, you know, really felt like I had lost a piece of me. I mean, not just there's, there's an economic cost, but there's also just an aspect of, you know, feeling like violated in in a sense Uh, in other cases, you know, for people who have, let's say, shut down their Facebook accounts, But they use their Facebook account to sign in to lots of third party services that they relied on and trusted on. It became very difficult, I think, for them to reestablish their, their, you know, digital uh, footprint. So I just like, maybe it's just a matter of of education and these things will be figured out over time. But uh, the sign in piece, just it's one of those very seductive things that tech companies do where. Yeah, they could tell you, but most people don't care and they don't really understand anyway. So what's the big deal? Like, just use it because it's convenient and it's there. And then you wake up, you know, five or 10 years down the road and you're like, oh my God, antitrust, how do we unravel this thing? And it's like, well, it's kind of too late.